This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trelore. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts, we're going to uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image, I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. Let's pull back the curtain for some raw beauty talks. Well, we started this episode off on a strong note and both of us finished the interview feeling like we were on a high and like we'd had such a good conversation, which we did. However, then I went to save the audio and realized that I never actually hit record and As I went to record the intro, I realized my microphone wasn't plugged in, which means I was recording the audio directly into my computer, which never sounds quite as clear. So apologies in advance. I don't know. It's the end of the year when we're recording this. Maybe everything's just gone to that place. (laughs) And clearly it is time for a break. Anyways, this is life. We record real and raw and all of the content is just as strong as ever. So we're going to go with it. Nevertheless, let's dive in to today's episode. We're doing our first episode with a co-host. We're calling them co-hosts now versus guests because what I've come to understand in the last few months is that I have so much to say on all of these topics at this point. I have interviewed over 200 women in the Raw Beauty Talks original interview. I have worked with over 600 women in the Raw Beauty Reset. I have been coaching women one-on-one for over two years now. We have done over 100 interviews on the podcast. I've learned a couple things. I've heard a couple of things. I've seen a little, like a few patterns start to form. And so as I was listening to the guests and their stories, I just kind of noticed that I was really having to hold myself back from interjecting and adding in my own tips and feedback, which was never the intention. Like when you invite a guest onto the show, it's all about shining the light on them. So of course I want to continue to do this, but I also want to make sure that this podcast is the most helpful show that it can possibly be. And so I don't know. I'm kind of at a point where if I have something to say or something that I think brings value, I want to make sure that there's space for me to share that as well. So we're bringing co-hosts onto the show and we're both going to have a conversation about, you know, whatever it is that the guest has gone through or experienced. And if there's ever an opportunity for my, me to share my own perspective on things or, you know, how I've navigated through moments myself, then the door's wide open for that as well, which is exciting. Fresh year, fresh start. We've got a co-host and holy smokes, she is fire. Kelly Yu is joining me today. I found her on Instagram and was just blown away by her authenticity and how she is sharing her journey of recovering from anorexia, binge eating disorder, a weed addiction, 
she doesn't necessarily look like the face of all of these problems that, I don't know, that we tie to mental health. And so I think that's something that makes her so interesting. Kelly's really open about so many of the things that she struggled with. And in doing so, she has become this powerhouse with a huge following, her own podcast called Therapy Thursdays. I don't know. She's absolutely incredible. And so we're going to dive into Kelly's story, and then we're going to talk specific strategies, things that you can apply to your life right now, and those key fundamental stepping stones that helped us get out of the deep, dark hole of disordered eating. My hope is always that as you listen to this, you learn more about yourself but also about other individuals or people in your life and what they might be going through as well. As we find more understanding and compassion for others, I find that it kind of rebounds back to ourselves and that voice of self-compassion that is so pivotal in our own health and wellness becomes a little bit louder, a little bit stronger, and so much more loving. So without further ado, Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I would love it if you could just take a moment to tell everybody who's tuning in right now a little bit about you and how you came to be this incredible, glowing ray of informed light in the world. Oh my goodness. <laughs> my name's Kelly Yu, everyone. I am a four foot 11 Asian girl. Uh, I don't know why I've said that, but you know, sometimes I feel like it actually is helpful to give sometimes a visual so they can like paint you. And because I also have a podcast too, I love the imagination we can use when we listen to audio. I love talking about feelings and why we feel the way we feel and the struggles that we all have and kind of seeing how we're all actually the same in a lot of ways. And even though my story is a lot about eating sort of recovery, I've struggled with binge eating, anorexia, lots of family drama and trauma, very toxic relationships. I dated a narcissist for seven years. I have narcissists in my family. So much of this abuse recovery has coincided well with my own recovery and learning so much more about how much bigger all of this is. It's not just the body. It's not just the food. And then I was addicted to smoking weed for about 10 years. I started when I was a teenager and the whole theme of my life was how do I numb out as best as I can at all times and be outside of myself and not be in my family, not be in my life. Also being a type A perfectionist, always wanting to be successful, whatever the hell that even means. I built this social media platform, which is so near and dear to my heart on Instagram, YouTube, and I have a podcast called Therapy Thursday. So I really just like talking about all the vulnerable things that I personally would never have even let you ask me questions about. So it's pretty wild to be here now. And I'm really excited to talk to you. I just love the fact that when we started talking about your story and going back, I mean, you opened up about your eating disorder starting at 10 years old. And the fact that for almost 10 years, you didn't know that you had an eating disorder, that it would be labeled that way. It wasn't something that you talked about in your family. The dialogue that you just use and that you use every day on your podcast, on your social media feed, this was not dialogue that you grew up with. It is something that you have learned and now you are gifting it to so many people. So tell me a little bit about getting an eating disorder at 10 years old. What have you discovered was sort of the root of that? When I really reflect on it, when I was 10 years old, it was after school. We were all playing in the playground, me and my classmates. And there was this boy had a huge crush on, you know, there's always one boy that all always. the girls like, and he's the cutest and sporty. And 
I'm not even kidding. He came up to me just randomly. He said, you kind of got chubby. I had never been told that, you know, my parents were never shaming our bodies. Like my sister and I were definitely maybe on the larger side. I'd never thought that. So it made me think that and realize things. And I'm a human with normal insecurities. And this boy that I like said that to me, and maybe that's not a bad word, but I I didn't feel like he meant it in a kind context. Mm -hmm. And it, it hit me in the stomach. And I walked home and I truly said to myself, well, I'm just going to stop eating. I don't know. Yeah. Just like that. I didn't tell anyone what had happened. I felt so ashamed. I felt ugly and embarrassed to be called out for something that I'd maybe I felt dumb. I think maybe Mm. I was like, Oh, he sees something that I didn't see. So I should probably fix that. Right. And as a coach, I've heard this story, a version of this story so many times of people being bullied or that one comment that seems to stick that is said by the right person at the right time. And it just plants a seed that seems to grow and grow and grow into whatever it is, low self-esteem and eating disorder. Now, obviously eating disorders aren't that simple. It's not usually just that one thing. It's a combination Mm -hmm. of things that come together. I think about this now a lot because as moms and individuals out there in the world who I'm sure you have lots of individuals who are young or people with kids who are following you. We can't be there every step of the way to protect our kids against this type of thing. So I just feel like these were not conversations that our parents were having with us when we were little kids about practicing kindness and compassion towards others about the context even of the words mm-hmm. fat and chubby and how yeah. they're not, those aren't bad things. It's, it's very complicated to explain this to kids that these aren't mm-hmm. bad things and yet they can be hurtful to people. So we, we ideally want to try not to talk about people's bodies or the way exactly. that, they, that doesn't need to be the focal point. So you get home, you've decided that you're not going to eat. My world changed. I mean, it became my life's mission and now I had a tunnel vision to what the scale going down. We had a scale in my house. I weighed myself about 10 times a day. I really just barely ate enough to get by. And it, it was a fun game for me at some point. Obviously, I was miserable, but there was a big part of it that helped me feel very in control, very distracted. And obviously, I learned this after six years of therapy. I had a very chaotic home growing up. I never saw a healthy relationship between my parents. Love them so much. They have grown so so much and and also a part thank god <laughs> mm. thank you but i've learned that it was a really great way for me to not notice i didn't have to always notice my dad is not present not around a lot of people thought my mom was a single mom and i just didn't understand i felt so confused as a kid as why he had these behaviors and why he would treat us this way why he would talk this way why he perceived himself in a way that was just so it was just not good and so now I see my eating disorder as such a way to cope. I wish I had understood just anything at this mm-hmm. age. And my goal was to just get really, really, you know, small. And I ended up losing so much weight. And then everyone started noticing the teachers at school, the principal at school, the secretary at school, like the kids' parents. And then they would come to me concerned and that infuriated me. I'm not getting love. I'm not getting attention. I'm getting called out. So I'm never getting what I actually need, which is nurture. Yes. 
and that attention and love and safety as well. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Robbie Detox. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. Friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you a over. So often as I think the eating disorder can feel like a way of controlling things when the environment around you is out of control. It's one thing that we know we can control. It's Our, my baby. It's, it's my best friend. Do not even come near us. <laughs> yes. Yes. And do you remember a moment? I remember with mine, like it started off with me just trying to be more healthy, right? Like just wanting to be a little bit more perfect. Mm -hmm. And it really was almost celebrated. Like we celebrate people who are wanting to be healthy and well and working out and eating clean in this society. I don't remember exactly when, but at some point it it turned into something that had way more power over me. I was no longer in choice. This Mm -hmm. eating disorder was running the show. And part of me knew I'm getting too thin. I don't actually even like the way that I look at this point, which is, is not common. A lot of people will still see themselves as being much bigger than they are. But for me, I I just couldn't stop the wheels from turning. What was your experience? Did you look in the mirror and see yourself as thin or did you have body dysmorphia? Oh, severe body dysmorphia. And since I was only 10 and 11, I was doing it so unconsciously. I just knew that someone said my body wasn't good and had to change it. And I did get to your phase later on when I had a new eating disorder of exercise addiction and binge eating. That was like for the next 
15 years, but this anorexic period of my life ended when my mom took me to just an annual checkup. The doctor weighed me, looked at me. He said, what happened to you? You need to eat. Uh, And he looked at my mother and he said, you need to go to the store right now, get a steak, put salt and pepper on it and force her to eat it till she finishes. That's tricky when you have an eating disorder. That's like being thrown into a pit of snakes. Basically, I don't think I'd ever been more infuriated in my life until that point. That is the most insane thing to ever say to someone, period. What a strange response. Yes. And then after that, I was forced to snap out of it. And my sister also was concerned. My sister said to my parents one time, you know, hey, Kelly is looking kind of different. You know, she's a year older than me. And they just were in denial. You know, they just, they didn't know better. And so I honestly just started eating quote unquote normally and more. And no one ever talked to me about it ever. It just got swept right under the rug. And that's how we deal with an eating disorder. We all just move on and it's not, but ultimately it transferred into something else into oh, other yeah. years because we hadn't actually dealt with the root cause or what was going on. No. So then the exercising and binge eating starts. Well, I was so goddamn hungry after like <laughs> eight months, right? Like I'm hungry and I'm being forced to eat. So I became a binge eater because I felt so ashamed of any normal eating. So normal eating patterns, when I saw people have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I would look at them and go, what are you doing? You are destroying your life. Because I was eating a fourth of a sandwich and half of an apple and then going to bed. Like that's just all I was allowed for my own, my own rules. So I would binge because I just felt ashamed of eating. Mm. I would eat as little as possible in, in normal settings at normal mealtimes and then hide cookies, sit next to the little cabinet at night, get little bowls of cereal. Just, I started doing a lot of ritualistic hiding behaviors. I needed something sacred for myself. And I learned that in therapy, my sacred ritual of starving myself was ripped away from me. So I found a new one. Oh yes, I did that too. And the thing about anorexia is that sometimes, not all the time by any means, the body starts to change and people start to notice with binge eating, even though you're maybe not eating as much during the day, you're offsetting that by eating so much in the evening or whenever it is that you're binging that your body's less likely to change. So I feel like it's a lot more of an invisible disorder that people don't know is happening. I don't know. Binge eating for me, I didn't know that that was a thing at all. I just thought I have no discipline. Everyone else seems to be able to just follow this like healthy eating plan and I am failing. And there's so much shame around that and so much self-disgust. And with that, I mean, a whole new level of hating my body came about. And I realized now it wasn't what I was seeing in the mirror that I disliked. It was my actions and how out of alignment and out of integrity I felt in that space. And so, I mean, I think the binge eating period was even harder than the anorexia in some ways. The inner mental and emotional torment that binge eating has on a person's psyche is incredible. Like when I just see the cycle that I went through every day, it would be I wake up, I'm so full from gorging last night. I've never hated myself more. Mm -hmm. And I had the same things that you just said. Why can't I just be like everyone else? Why am I failing? And how different, like you said, we look okay, but we don't feel normal at all. There's so much shame that I had and 
then I would starve all day and then just do it again. Cycle continues. And I had no energy during the day because I'm not eating. All I could think about was how much I hated myself and all the energy that I spent on that Mm. distracted me so much from being able to engage in healthy social relationships being able to care for myself in other ways. And the sad part is for a lot of people with eating disorders, we are able fully to do well in school and work and all the things on a to-do list, but there's no connection with the self. And there's barely any ability to have intimate, close relationship with people because if I'm not engaging with my emotions, I won't be able to emote to anyone else. Oh, isn't that the truth? I think anybody who is listening to this, who knew me in my twenties, when all this was going on, would have had no idea. I was working a job. I could put a smile on my face. I was succeeding, checking off all of those boxes that you mentioned. One area that they probably would have noticed was in my intimate relationships because I was so insecure because I didn't love myself. So I didn't, I don't think I could truly believe that anyone could love me. My relationships were not super healthy, but still on the outside, I think most people would have thought, yeah, she's totally fine. And yet I did not feel fine. We're really good performers. We teach ourselves to perform and make sure everyone else is comfortable because if they see that I'm uncomfortable, they're going to find out. At least that's Mm -hmm. what my fear was. They'll find out. So you are in a sense numbing out with the binging as well, because when you're binging, I mean, at least for me, I felt numb, like all those thoughts that were swirling around in my head and the anxiety that was there or the depression, it just all sort of melted away when it was you with the food, you're getting the chemical rush from this food that you're eating. And you, I don't know, like, it's like a force comes over you and you almost black out. And so again, it's a form of numbing. You started smoking weed at some point. Yeah. My first time I started was I just did it recreationally. So it was really common for high schoolers to be smoking lots of weed, drinking. I've never been into drinking, don't like it, but weed was just cool. I mean, you you, you change. Mm. Everything's a little funnier. Everything's a little fuzzier. You don't have to think as much. It calms you down. And I really liked just not being as present. And what I realized too, with smoking weed, it helped me really just not be in my body. I've still really struggled with being comfortable that this is my body. This is my arm. This is my chest. This is my butt. These are my legs. And when I'm high, I can fully almost cut off my head from the rest of me. I really craved that my whole life because I felt like I always felt uncomfortable and weighed down in a sense by my own body. And it was sad to realize a lot of that, but very helpful in therapy of why am I so addicted? Why do I need to do this all the time? Why do I always want to fully dissociate from me when I logically tell myself I want to connect with myself? What am I doing? How how is me smoking weed ever going to get me to this place? Mm -hmm. It requires a massive amount of trauma healing, self-awareness, bravery, and courage, because to sit in a body of which you're afraid of and not comfortable in, and that is responding to trauma and anxiety, it's a survival mechanism. You were surviving in, in very eloquent ways. You know, you found these tools, whether it was food or weed or booze or whatever it was that allowed you to escape all those challenging feelings that were there under the surface. And so 
this does not have one look. It does not, it's not one type of person that it impacts. It's not somebody from a specific socioeconomic background or race. Like these are things that can impact anybody and you just never know who's struggling with it or what people are going through day to day. There's so many pieces of gold you just said. So before I forget, I love that you said afraid. That was like, you use the word, like we're afraid of the feelings and things like that. And it's so easy for a lot of us to say, I hate my body. I hate myself, but actually there's a lot of fear. I'm scared of my vulnerabilities. I'm scared of my struggle. I'm scared of how out of control I feel and facing that fear and sitting in the sadness and, and the tears and anguish is more intimidating than me. Like I hate myself. I hate myself so much. I was so scared to tell everyone I was getting sober. Like, yes, this is a big source of pride to be sober, but I felt ashamed yeah. and terrified to tell the people who have been on this journey with me online. I felt embarrassed. Like, wow, you're going to know I was a pothead. And then, you know, I've been lying to you all this time. I was so scared. And I only told them like earlier this year when I'd already been six months sober, I was too scared. What did they say? Everyone was so incredibly encouraging and I was very blown away by the response. I'm really lucky to have the kindest, warmest people in my social media circle. I'm really lucky. What about you? Well, first of all, I just want to say, I'm pretty sure you have the kindest, most compassionate, loving people because that's how you're showing up for others. And also, I think we have this huge misconception that most people aren't struggling and that we're the only ones that haven't got it figured out or that have those dark corners in our closet. And what I've come to realize is that nobody has it figured out as much as we think that they do. And nobody is as happy or carefree or stress-free or perfect as what we see on social media. And yet because we don't talk about this and there's so much shame around it, everyone feels like they are the only one. Yeah, And so you finding the courage to share openly something that you carried so much shame around just allows your light to then shine on all of these individuals who are carrying this dark part of themselves. And it just allows you to light that part up. I feel like for me, my journey of not drinking was very tied to my anxiety. I, mm. I just felt like I'm constantly looking at how I can level up and I'm constantly looking at how do I show up for my life to accomplish the things I want to accomplish while feeling aligned with my core desired feelings. And I, at the end of every year, do a little assessment, like what went well this year, where am I still struggling or where can I level up? What am I leaving behind? What am I taking with me? And the anxiety piece is just ever since having kids, it's just right at the surface. And I feel like alcohol was triggering that was Mm. also my solution for that. Like, oh, I've got anxiety. I can just have a glass of wine to take the edge off and taking the edge off feels so good. But then it was further perpetuating the anxiety the next day. And so it was just creating this cycle where it was you know, I definitely wasn't just having the wine because I love the taste of wine. It was, <laughs> it was the feeling that I was getting. Oh, yeah. And so it started off with a month of not drinking and day by day, I've made the decision as to how I want to feel. And I mean, I read this quote once, I think it was, I got sober because I wanted a better life. 
And I choose sobriety day after day because I got one. Oh, it's actually scary how true it is because like you had mentioned earlier with all these disordered behaviors and struggles that we have and the trauma without healing of the trauma and really facing my fears of what it would be like to be myself, what it would be like to sit in all my emotions and realize I can still move forward. We are not actually weighed down by our feelings and our traumas for some point. If, if they're not seen, if we don't let ourselves see it and be with them, then yes, we are weighed down. Mm. And me getting high is keeping them there so securely Mm -hmm. because they never get a chance. Yes. Ali Maserol, who I absolutely adore. She's a yoga teacher, founder of Girlvana. She says, you got to name it to tame it. We actually have to like reflect on and acknowledge and speak about those emotions and feelings that are there. And in doing that, we actually free ourselves from it. But we're often so scared to even go there. I feel like we. this is the perfect segue to touch on our list of tools and tips and the things that have supported both of us the most in our own recovery from eating disorder, addictions, numbing out, all the things. I'm going to let you start with one of the items that you feel was most pivotal in your recovery and getting to where you are now. I know this is something that a lot of people say, but I kid you not, everyone therapy. And I will tell you why therapy is not a place where I go to fix me. It's not a place where I go to change me. It's my only avenue to be able to be with me. I don't enjoy self-reflection. I do a lot of self-analysis. I do a lot of self-criticism, but I don't spend a lot of time deeply connecting with the parts of me that I need to be with the younger parts, the vulnerable parts, the scared parts, the sad parts, because there are a lot of different versions of ourselves and parts of us. And we're very good at compartmentalizing what I am. And therapy is a place where I get to be loving on the parts that I think I'm supposed to hate. Mm. And a lot of healing and change does come from that. I would probably still be addicted to weed, still have eating disorder, severe binge eating, and probably still be in an abusive relationship if I had never gone to therapy. Therapy is such a game changer. It really was absolutely pivotal in my own journey too. And I still have a therapist who I go to when I'm feeling like I need that extra support. The challenge that I find sometimes is that it's expensive. And so- In moments, I really have to root down into the fact that this is my life's work that I'm doing here. I will spend this money on a pair of jeans, but sometimes these other things that are less glamorous or fun or feel a little bit harder, I have a tendency to say, it's so expensive. I don't know if I, I don't know if I should do that or am I worth that or whatever it is. I've really had to shift my perspective to the fact that therapy again and again allows me to show up as my best self. And I would rather put my money towards something that is going to allow me to feel good on the inside, which ultimately reflects to the outside, than spending my money on all of these external things that give me a quick hit of joy and fun and excitement that make me feel good for a moment, but it's not the long lasting kind of feel good stuff that really matters. 
Yeah. So. And, and, and therapy is very expensive and not accessible. And everyone who's listening, when I, I grew up very, very not, not privileged. And when I was in college, I was working three jobs to not be in total debt and I needed therapy, but I couldn't afford it. So what I did was at a lot of colleges, there happened to be counseling centers. And that's when I started, I had two free sessions and then I got connected with my therapist. Luckily I did have insurance, but I did have to quit for a while because I couldn't afford it. So there were times that I didn't have any therapy. So I would go to the free eating disorder group that was at the counseling center. So I encourage you all to just get on Google to look up free support groups. There's lots of that. All of it's anonymous and no one wants to really know who you are. Like it's the rules. <laughs> yeah. It's the rules of no one's there to get to know you or shame you. Everyone's only there for a goal. Mm, for the healing. I love that. Okay. So therapy was absolutely pivotal for me. The first part of my recovery was treatment. And in Canada, treatment is covered like a treatment center at a hospital is covered until you're 16, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so I was lucky enough to get into that. My eating disorder was 15, 16. I spent almost three months there and was an opportunity to kind of press pause and get my body back up to a healthier weight where my brain could work a little bit better. That's not something that everybody has access to. I know in the U S it's extraordinarily expensive to get into these centers, but I would say that that was one piece. I was really lucky to have the support with. Unfortunately, it got me through the anorexia, but I still came out and then went on this lovely journey of the binge eating disorder because you don't learn to eat intuitively. You learn to eat based on their meal plans that they give you. So for me, the next thing that was incredibly pivotal was starting to work with a life coach of all things. And I think Mm. why that process of working with a coach was so fundamental for me is that I had the opportunity to stop digging around in the past so much, like I'd done all of that work and to really start dreaming about and creating my future vision for myself and then figuring out what are the steps I need to take to become that Aaron. And ultimately that's what I love to support individuals in now, because it was such a game changer for me. It's like, okay, you are where you are. Great. We've got to do some work on the background and on your inner child and on the trauma. And, and then let's figure out where the hell you're going and let's start taking the steps forward to be that version. I'm curious. I want to go back to something that you said. You, you mentioned when we were chatting before that the internet was an important piece of your recovery, which how did the internet support you? When I was uh, 20, I remember there's this girl, her name's Josie Mai. She was like a YouTuber. She talked about food, relationship with food. And she's the first person who ever said, I have severe binge eating disorder. And it was in her Instagram bio. And I said, what is binge eating disorder? And I loved her. And I, and I Googled, it. I said, oh. I have that. I mean, I was sitting in my small college apartment. I had three girl roommates at the time and I was sitting on my phone. It opened up a whole new world to me to realize there's stuff on the internet where they're talking about binge eating, more depression, anxiety. And also I have a hair picking disorder called trichotillomania. Mm-hmm. Hell, I didn't know what that was until I found it. Someone also randomly posted about it. So there's a lot of stuff that I see online where I just thought I was weird. I'm different. No one on planet earth, maybe one girl in a foreign country does this, but me, I remember saying that to myself when I was little. Mm. And then you realize as we have this tool, 
that it can be a really brilliant tool for connection and learning and education and understanding that we're not alone. Mm -hmm. And truly, this is what you're doing now for so many other individuals, which is so cool. And you're the same when you're 15, when little preteen cutie pie being like, what the hell's wrong with me? Now look at what you're doing. Your life's work is sharing this and helping so many people. We're so lucky. Like I feel so, so grateful for all of the struggles that I've had because of what I get to do. Let's chat about some of the like nitty gritty. So we've mentioned therapy, connecting with people on the internet treatment centers or like free treatment groups Mm -hmm. really helpful. I want to talk about like some of the little specifics that Mm -hmm. supported you in navigating the eating disorder. When I really started to open up in therapy about the binge eating, you know, it's very scary. Exposing that to someone else, even a therapist was just a lot for me. And we started making this big practice of eating breakfast. And that's like, breakfast? I mean, Mm. I'm not even hungry in the morning, right? Because I'm binging at night and she's like, okay, well, that's exact. That will help incentivize just a bit. Maybe that, you know, you get to eat in the morning. So maybe you don't have to do it all, all at night and it's not as simple, but the, but the knowing that I'm allowed to eat when I wake up versus what I'm binging, I truly realize now I had a rule that I'm not allowed to eat in the morning. Mm. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. So every day I wake up, I go, you got to eat something. And also if it incentivizes any of you, if you have any digestive issues, if you struggle with constipation, eating is what kickstarts your digestive system to signal your body. If you don't eat, your system is not working for you. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, I remember for years and years and years having the worst bloating, feeling like my stomach was always sore I was a regular and I thought I just had a sensitive stomach. So I need to watch what I'm eating, but watching what I was eating and all the anxiety around food and all the weird food things I was doing was actually absolutely what was throwing my microbiome off my digestive system off. And so I'm so glad that you mentioned this guideline of eating breakfast because in the raw beauty reset, we talk about the five golden guidelines. And the very first thing is having breakfast within an hour of waking up, mm-hmm. fueling your body. For me, another one, I find that I feel my best when I eat every two to three hours. And it's not just mm-hmm. about feeling your best when you're recovering from disordered eating or an eating disorder. It's really necessary to fuel yourself consistently every two to three hours so that your body starts to trust that it's going to receive food. Mm. And as your body starts to trust that you're going to feed it, your hunger and fullness signals will start to come back, which allows you to work on the same team as your body versus having so many rules and basically dictating to your body when it gets food. Like our bodies were designed to not only survive, but to thrive in life. Your body wants you to be well. We've become so accustomed to just shutting off from the signals that our body is giving us and making all of these rules so that we can lose weight or look a certain way. And then over time, it's like a, an abusive relationship with our body and our body just starts shutting down. It stops communicating back to us. So if you want to really work on rebuilding the relationship with your body, 
you've got to show up for it. I can't tell you how many people I talk to who are like, I hate my body. It's not working for me. It's doing this. It's so frustrating. And I always ask, how are you showing up for your body? Would your body be happy with the way that you are treating it? With the words that you're speaking to it, with the way that you're nourishing it, with the way that you are giving it rest and moving it. And if not, maybe we just start to switch that step by step. Does anything else come to mind for you? Well, I love, I love the piece that you're really hitting on, which is the way you treat it and actually allowing yourself to connect with it. A big piece of my struggle has been, I struggle so much with conditions that make me severely constipated and it Mm -hmm. creates so much stress and body hate. And I feel the same way. My body's not working for me. My body's broken in my healing and my therapy. She would be like, how about we be warm to that. How sad is that for your body? Like, how can we hug those parts? And I go, Oh my God. Like I'd roll my eyes because I still couldn't understand Mm. how to be compassionate towards those parts. And it takes a lot of repetition from her side to remind me. And that's why I am in the place more now, if I'm really constipated and struggling, or if I really don't want to eat breakfast, how can we look at all these struggling, frustrating parts and go, Oh, I understand. Finding that voice of self-compassion, how would you speak to a friend and can you speak that way to yourself? Yeah. A phrase that I'll just say to myself is, "Mm, yeah, that must be hard. How can I help? It's not as much effort as we think it is to just be nice. (laughs) (laughs) It's not as hard as we think it is, but it does require a bit of an awakening and becoming more conscious of the thought patterns and streams that are moving throughout your mind. So maybe that's that's something to take from today's episode is just tuning in and noticing that self-dialogue a little bit more. How are you speaking to yourself? And is there the potential or possibility of just shifting that so that it sounds a little more gentle, a little more compassionate? Our thoughts have the ability to cause a cascade of chemicals to go through our body, either sending us into fight or flight and adrenaline and cortisol to start pumping through our body or supporting us in moving to a space of rest and relaxation, which is rest and digest, which is supportive of the digestive system. So our thoughts, which aren't given a lot of space and time in health and wellness, I really personally believe that it all starts there. Everyone can start today by just speaking a little more kindly to yourself, asking yourself what you need. We're all moving forward. You've all got this. And if you're somebody who's listening to this right now, who has a friend who's going through this, I know my DMs are always open. Um, I love a little voice note and, and sharing whatever I can to support you in this time, because this stuff isn't easy, but also we're strong AF. Hell yeah. We are right there with you. And, you know, I'm not a master of my journey. I'm not a master of recovery, sobriety, nothing. Even our talk today, Erin, reinforces a lot of things that maybe I wasn't going to be aware of how I wanted to treat myself today. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really like that. It's easy to forget. So if any of you are starting your day or ending your day on autopilot, we can switch it right now. Cheers to that. It's been such a joy chatting with you. What's coming up for you next? Like, what are you excited about when we talk about thinking about this forward version of ourselves? Like, where is Kelly moving towards right now? I'm creating a life where I am much less afraid of having a more vibrant, fulfilling social life. 
I have really struggled with that my whole life. I am in this space where I feel like I've done so much of the back end work that I'm just, I am focused on just being me and living and in the real world. It is very hard for a lot of us who do the work that we do to care about not those career goals, not what we're doing on social media. What are we doing day to day for us that has nothing to do with showing it to other people? That's actually where I'm at. And I've never lived for myself. I've only lived for the internet. Oh, I got chills listening (laughs) to that. (laughs) You deserve that. And it is all there for you to step into. Take a second as you're listening right now to just think about what it is that you are wanting to create for yourself. What are you wanting to welcome into your life? This isn't about judging where you're at right now. It's about hope and building and dreaming and a deep knowing that we have the capacity to create whatever we want in life. Doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, but step-by-step we can, we can move into that space. As we said, we're cheering you along right now. I hope you loved this episode as much as I did. If you enjoyed it, take a moment to share it. Tag Kelly and I on Instagram, leave a review. If you have a moment, I know I ask that every time, but they really do mean the world. It does everyone, please. They make us so happy. I do my absolute best to respond back to everyone and, and to connect because that's what I'm here for is the connection. Kelly, thank you. you. No, no, no. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to have been on your podcast. Thank you so much. I'm blushing over here. You're, you're so good at this. Like I have a podcast too, everyone. It's called therapy Thursday. So please listen to that. But I'm just like, wow. Definitely learn from you. Unreal. We'll make sure that we link to that down below along with Kelly's Instagram page. Go check her out. Thanks, everyone. Love ya. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take a moment to rate, review, or follow on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with someone that you think could benefit. Join the Raw Beauty Talks community at Raw Beauty Talks. And remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. I'll see you next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.